and just kind of the feel of things today is sleepy and full and full and sleepy. Um, and it doesn't help that it's raining and kind of gray, right? Um, we are um, actually just on the front end, really, of the church calendar's uh, take on the Christmas season, right? Um, and it, you may be uh, tired of Christmas, sorry, um, but um, we're going we're gonna to talk about that uh, today. Now, one of the things to, to note about the, the church calendar is that, you know, you've heard of the 12 days of Christmas, that Christmas is actually a festival that goes on for 12 days, right? That's where that came from. Um, but one of the things to note about that is, and, and maybe you're just a bah humbug kind of person, you know, you don't, you don't like the, you know, the fake joy or whatever that often comes, comes with the season. Well, uh, today we're going to look at a very stark and dark um, uh, part of the Christmas story, uh, one that may, may startle you uh, this morning. Um, uh, the, the, it's what artists and uh, folks have called over the centuries the, the slaughter of the innocents. That's when uh, Herod, in a jealous rage, um, decides he's going to do away with Jesus and ends up killing uh, most of the baby boys, all of the baby boys, in and around the area of Bethlehem. Now, why in the world are we talking about that? <laughs> and why in the world, in the midst of joy, 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 would... Um, God want to include in that story uh, this issue uh, that happens there with Herod. Well, um, because we live, exist, you and I today, uh, in um, the now and the not yet of what Jesus came to to do for us. Um, and it is interesting to note that um, uh, the day after Christmas, uh, if you're from England, I guess it's Boxing Day, but in the church calendar, it is called uh, the Feast of St. Stephen, which, what a great name, right? Um, but uh, isn't it interesting that the day after Christmas, the church fathers and the church calendar recognizes a martyr, right? That, yes, Jesus has come, praise God that he has, and without that we would be lost. But we also live in a world that is still in great need of complete redemption. And so that's what we're going to uh, talk about and get at uh, this morning. Also, because I know you're tired and full and cold and that kind of stuff, um, it'll be short today. Uh, I... Uh, was was kidding with uh, some folks when they when they came in and they're like, "Are you done?" Uh, you know, and I said, "Well, I'm just going to stand up here and read the Bible to you for for 30 minutes, and uh, which wouldn't hurt any of us, right?" So, uh, uh, but uh, it is Christmas. People are a little slow, and um, that's yeah, that's our situation. So before I read Matthew chapter 2 this morning, let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we uh, come into your presence today rejoicing that Jesus has, has come. Uh, we've already rejoiced today much that Christ has been born. 
And yet, uh, for many of us today, we, um, our joy is, uh, well, our, our joy has a, a, a bit of a tinge to it as well. Uh, Lord, we, uh, many of us uh, struggle. Uh, many of us are um, uh, sick. Many of us are uh, lonely, grief-stricken. Uh, many of us uh, are, uh, um, we struggle with our own sin and struggle with the sins of others. And so I pray that you would bless us today, help us to lament uh, the brokenness of the world, but also help us to take joy in the reality that you uh, came and uh, you did your work. So I pray this morning that you would be our helper in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23, the text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, when they had departed and that they is the three wise men who, if you'll remember, came looking for Jesus because of his star uh, and uh, all of Jerusalem was stirred because of them. Herod wanted to find out where Jesus was so he could do away with them and uh, the wise men uh, avoided him, they left, right? And so that's who the they is in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So I don't know if you're on Twitter. If you tweet, that's what you say, right? It's not twit. You don't twit. You you tweet, right, on, on Twitter. Well, the trend on December 26th was, why I'm glad Christmas is over. Okay? Uh, and you can just imagine the, uh, the, the thousands of kind of really, uh, well, harsh, hard, difficult things that, uh, uh, that people uh, said. And it's funny, you know, because there is this kind of romantic notion, right, that we would like for Christmas Day uh, to be every day to be like Christmas Day, right? I'm sure Amazon would really be uh, excited about that. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is there is some truth in the fact. Uh, that Christmas never ends for the people who are are in in Christ, right? 
So, and, and, and this is kind of the point. The annual celebration of Christmas should remind us that the incarnation of Jesus inaugurated a new reality that has changed the world and is changing us. So the joy that we have is not just the joy in a child being born, certainly, and it's not just the joy that we have that we have an excuse now to celebrate or anything like that. What, what the joy is, is that God sees our uh, sin, our brokenness, sees our death, sees those things that are true about us, and he intervenes. And he intervenes in the most powerful way imaginable. He comes in the flesh like one of us, to live our life, die our death, and rise again, right? And so it is absolutely true. When we sing glory to God in the highest, we should should experience real joy, right? That a new reality has changed the world. It's changing us. It's changed the situation that we live in. This new reality gives us a gladness and joy that should have no end. Absolutely uh, true. However, we must admit some things as well. Um, just this week, I don't know if you heard this or not, 11 uh, Christian men were martyred in Nigeria by an offshoot of ISIS. Uh, They said, uh, apparently, that uh, this was uh, in light of two things. One, the, uh, the Christian holiday Christmas, and the other was in retaliation for uh, uh, the killing of the, the founder and leader of, uh, of ISIS. As a nation, we're embroiled in a political controversy. And as much as I wanted to this week to avoid that and stay away from that, uh, it's kind of hard to avoid, isn't it? It just is, yeah, what a mess. What a mess. And uh, I'm tempted, if you're wondering what I'm going to say next about it is, I'm tempted uh, and I need to confess that I'm tempted to hate everybody that's involved. <laughs> so, frankly, I mean, it is, uh, it's just a terrible, terrible mess, right? Our city uh, has seen a spike in gun violence. Um, it, it, uh, when we first moved to Richmond years ago, there was a, uh, in the uh, late 80s, uh, Richmond was a very, very violent place, and it has been less so the last uh, dozen or so years, but something's changed, and uh, it's a violent, becoming a more violent place, right? And, you know, a little bit closer to home, we have many, many folks who worship here with us, our friends and family who are sick. And I don't mean just that they have the flu, or a cold, or a runny nose, they have deadly diseases. Yeah. So this is is the world we live in. Uh, And this is the world in which we uh, celebrate, and the world in which uh, we uh, have every reason, even in the face of these things, even in the reality of these things, to lament, yes, but to know joy, to have real joy in the midst of a, of a broken and, and fallen world, right? And so one of the things that you have to see about this text and that should give you joy, uh, even in the midst of such a horrible, horrible story, 
And it is one of the worst, I think, in the scriptures. We just, you know, we had our uh, grandson over on uh, Christmas Day. He's um, uh, almost 10 months old. And I just was looking at him knowing that I was going to preach on this text today and just looking at him and just being horrified. Really? Uh, and it and it uh, did something to me to think, you know, what a what a terrible evil person here it is, and how his wickedness and evil uh, that he put other people up to do his bidding. What what a terrible, a terrible, terrible thing. And yet, having said all that, uh, the joy that we have is precisely because we live in a world like that. It's precisely because this, these things happen to us. It's precisely because the world is as broken as it is, is that we can have some joy because the brokenness and the mess that the world is did not keep Jesus away. Right? Next slide, please, Liz. So, um, and, and this, today's story illustrates in very stark terms the kind of world that Jesus was born into. You know, we, we like to spend a lot of our times, I, I'm, I'm, in particular, I, I do this. I tend to um, um, have a lot of misplaced hope. In, in other words, I, I, I tend to comfort myself sometimes with just thinking, well, in the end, uh, without any real reference to the gospel, I just think things generally work out. But the truth of the matter is, without the work of Jesus Christ, Without him coming in the flesh, things don't work out. But because he has come, and he came precisely into a world like ours, a mess that is ours, the mess that is that is us, and is the mess of the, of the world in which we live, we have every reason to have joy, right? So what kind of world was Jesus born into? Well, this story tells us he was born into a world of jealousy, right? Herod is cannot stand the fact that there might be someone else who was competing for uh, his throne. A world of hate, right? A world of sorrow. We hear the lament of uh, Rachel weeping for her children who are no more, right? It is a sorrowful, sad, sad uh, um, situation. A world of deception uh, where uh, Herod is... He's trying to deceive uh, the people around him to be able to do what it is he's going to do, a world of anger, certainly a world of inconvenience. And inconvenience is, is, is such a, a kind of a, a, a weak word to describe the fact that Jesus, as a young child, has to move and has to flee for his life and, and has to get up and, and go to another country, a country that is not his own, right? A world of fear. Right? Or in other words, this world is our world. Right? This hard and harsh, sin-filled world cannot undo Christmas, though, and what God did in Jesus. Right? And so we have to hold both of those things together. Otherwise, we will be tempted to find our hope in in things that ultimately might uh, disappoint us. And we also have to recognize that we can't demand that heaven be here right now. 
right? Until Jesus returns, until the full redemption that he lived, died, and rose again to, to bring to us, to bring to this world, until that happens, there will be, as we described here, a world of jealousy, a world that has hate, a world of sorrows, deception, anger, inconvenience, trouble, fear, right? Those things will be true and they will be present in our world. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that that's the final word. And that's the thing that animates, that moves us, that gives us a sense of hope and joy in something that's real and solid this morning. So a couple of things to consider in this text, a couple of things for us to to look at that I think Matthew is drawing our attention to. So first of all, when you read this text about here's, uh, and Matthew keeps saying these things were done, this happened, or this was said to fulfill uh, what was, was uh, what the Old Testament had pointed to, that's exactly what he's getting at. He wants us to see a couple of things uh, that this story that, that should remind us uh, of, of things that God did in the Old Testament. First of all, uh, we should see a kind of an allusion in this text to Moses, right? Remember, Moses was born. He was the one who would deliver, uh, that God would use to deliver the people of Israel from the bondage that they had in Egypt. Uh, and the Pharaoh, the king, was so threatened by that. What did he do? He wanted to kill all the Hebrew boys, right? So it should, so it should begin uh, to remind us of that. Just as God appointed Moses to lead his people out of bondage, so he has appointed Jesus to save his people from their sins. Remember his name. We talked about this last week that the angel comes to Joseph and says, you will call his name Jesus because he's going to, deli- he's going to be a deliverer. He's going to be the ultimate deliverer that he will deliver his people from their sins and from the consequence of their sin and rebellion. So that's, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is is the is the new uh, the new Moses. That Jesus is the ultimate redeemer, and that just as the Old Testament people of God were in bondage to to the Egyptians, we are in bondage to sin and death. And Jesus comes to lead us out of that. Also, just as Egypt provided relief from famine for Jacob and his sons, remember that that's why they were in Egypt to begin with, was because. Uh, there was a worldwide famine. God had seen that, knew that that was going to happen, and he had sent Joseph ahead, even though it was through uh, terrible circumstances, to uh, become really um, like the, the secretary of state, second in command in many ways in, in Egypt to store food so that God could provide for his people and indeed provide for the whole world, Right? So just as Egypt provided relief from famine for Jacob and his sons, it provides Jesus, Mary, and Joseph a haven from Herod's murderous plans. Now, that word haven, again, is an odd word, right? Because um, any uh, Jewish person in the first uh, century would have not chosen Egypt as a place to go to, would not have chosen Egypt as a place to live. But in, in this situation... Uh, to save the life of his son, uh, the, the, the child Jesus with uh, Mary and Joseph, God sends them to Egypt, right? There's a place for them. He prepares a place for them. They can go there and they'll be safe uh, un, until it's, it's, it's okay for them to go back, right? So, uh, <clears throat> and so just as Gentiles, the wise men, 
have come to worship him. So now a Gentile country will be a temporary home for Jesus. And so what we, what Matthew also wants us to see is not only that, that, that Jesus is the new Israel, uh, but that he also has a worldwide uh, uh, appeal. The wise men came to worship him and Jesus's early life will be spent living among people who are not ethnically or religiously or culturally like him. He'll live in a place where uh, uh, it would probably, there'll probably be very few people, in fact, like him, right? Uh, so Jesus, in many ways, is the new Israel, uh, just as he, when uh, he comes back, is called out, out of Egypt. Um, and so that's what Matthew wants us to begin to wrap our brains around. And that is the thing that is so uh, profound for us this morning is, is that this is who this child is. He's the new Moses. He's the new Israel. And he will fulfill and bring to fulfillment all of God's promises. But in the midst of this, there's the terrible story of the destruction of the baby boys in Bethlehem. What a terrible, terrible story. And so as we read that and as we're horrified by that, Matthew is reminded of Jeremiah 31, where he says, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, the, the, uh, the wife of Jacob, the mother of uh, a couple of the, of, uh, but symbolically the mother of the whole nation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Right? This text, uh, Jeremiah 31, refers to the exile where God's people sinned. And they continued to rebel against God. And God had told them that if they did that, that they would be carried away from their land, that they would be carried off in exile. And that's exactly the lament that Rachel has here. The, when she says that the people are no more, that God's children are no more, the, that what she's alluding to is the fact that the Assyrians have come uh, and the Babylonians have come and carried the people away, right? So Matthew uses a text from Jeremiah that's actually in its context about the exile of the people of God, but both the exile and the destruction of the boys in Bethlehem are catastrophes. And we can call it that. It's a catastrophic thing uh, that the people of God were besieged there in Jerusalem and that they were carried off uh, into exile. And it is no less a catastrophe that these little boys are slaughtered there in Bethlehem, right? So the interesting thing about it is, though, when Matthew chooses this passage from Jeremiah 31, he's saying more to us than just, wow, this is awful, this is terrible, this is a, a, a catastrophe. He's actually using this text to lift our eyes, to see and to settle our hearts today in the midst of a broken and sin-filled world that we can actually have some hope, right? Uh, because what he, what he wants us to see is that the weeping, the grief, and the death do not get the final word. And that's what Jeremiah 31 uh, says to us. And so, um, like I said earlier, that I'm going to read a long passage of the Bible to you. I think Jeremiah 31 is a great passage to have read to you this morning. Um, because many of us are, uh, are struggling, Right? Many of us uh, look about us and we see the, the so-called joy of the season and it becomes difficult for us to, uh, 
well, to engage with that. What Jeremiah 31 does for us today is it gives us a real reason to have real joy in the midst of a broken world. So let me read this text to you. Um, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Dancing. Dancing. That the people of God are struck in the midst of, of this situation with so much joy that they can't help but dance. I've seen some of you people dance before. And uh, joy, a lot of joy there. So, um, again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria, the Planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. You see, what God's going to do here is by providing for his people, he's going to uh, give them uh, an opportunity to see and to worship and to appreciate uh, his grace and his mercy. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor. Together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flocks. Do you see the images that God wants his people to carry about him? That he's a father, that he's a shepherd, that he cares for them, that he will provide for them. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. What a great exchange. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And here's God's response to that. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping, and your eyes from tears, for there's a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy, the land of death, the land of sin. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, 
and your children shall come back to their own country. What a, what a powerful, what a powerful picture that this is for us, right? Next slide. So in the midst of trial, there's comfort because there's a God who sees and hears and acts because he steps into our world, steps into our mess and takes on our mess, right? Um, Thursday morning, I was out in a, in a marsh uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, uh, early, early, early in the morning. And it was just miserable. It was foggy, wet. The ground was wet. I was there with my son. And uh, I kind of said to him, I'm like, wow, this is kind of hard. This is kind of difficult being out here today. And he's like, Dad, this is nothing. It's the same thing he would say to me when he was four, you know. I'm tough, you know. This is nothing. Um, when I was in ranger school, I, I, I would just sleep in that mud. And I'm like, well, son, we're just out here duck hunting. This is not ranger school, okay. We're, we don't... Uh, I, frankly, I don't want to lay in the mud, right? <laughs> it is something to me. It may be, you know, it might not be anything to you, but it is something to me. I don't really want to do this. So, um, but the fact of the matter is Jesus steps into our muddy mess and he gets dirty for our sake. And if he didn't do that, if that were not the case, if we didn't have a God who sees and hears and acts on our behalf, frankly, the world would be a catastrophic place to be. It would be, it would be, there would be no reason for joy because all we would have in this life is a period of time and, and frankly, a short period of time to be alive and then we die and that's it. What a, what a, if that were all there was, it would be a terrible, terrible situation. But we have hope today, even in the midst of a world that is broken, that is affected by death. I know that for many of you and for many of us, Christmas um, and uh, Easter in, in particular are times that remind us of folks we've lost. Right? You miss them. Um, Last night, I was sitting in my uh, daughter's room uh, talking with her. She had worked all day. She was exhausted. She's in the bed. And so, you know, um, that way she has to talk to me. <laughs> and she has to listen to me because, I mean, she get, did keep saying, Dad, would you go to, you know, leave me alone? I'm tired. But I noticed on her dresser, she had a picture of my mom and dad that I took when I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old. And I looked at the picture and I said, do you know the story behind that picture? And she's like, no. And I just thought it was curious that out of all the pictures that we took from my mom and dad's house that she would pick that one. And I said, well, you know, I took that picture and that picture was, we're from North Carolina. That picture was actually taken in Virginia. We were on a road trip and we were uh, on the Skyline Drive. And there's my mom and dad yucking it up there, uh, uh, in the picture. And so I looked at it and it made me miss them. You know, it made me, it, it got to me a little bit. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but what it also, and, and one of the things that was weird about it was, was I was, as I was looking at the picture was, uh, I'm 20 years older today than they were in that picture. <laughs> so I was like, wow, look, look, look at that. Um, yeah, um, 
And so I missed them. Uh, I, I missed them a lot at, uh, at the holidays. But I also, as I looked at that picture and the joy in their faces, I thought, you know, what kind of joy will we have when we see each other again? If it weren't for Christmas, if it weren't for Jesus coming in the flesh, we would be left to our own devices to try to come up with some means, some way of comforting ourselves, right? <clears throat> but even our own sin, or nor the sins of others, will prevail. God wouldn't allow it, and he won't allow it. And the truth is for us today, death does not get the final word. And so Matthew could say, and could write here, Jeremiah could say to those moms who lament and grieve over their children that there is a comforter, that there is comfort in the knowledge uh, that there is a redeemer. And this world, as broken as it is, will one day be completely renewed. <clears throat> we will all be completely renewed. Hear these words of institution of the Lord's Supper. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins together. Forgive them all, O Lord, our sins of omission and our sins of commission, the sins of our youth and the sins of our riper years, the sins of our souls and the sins of our bodies, our secret and our more open sins, our sins of ignorance and surprise, and our more deliberate and presumptuous sins the sins we have done to please ourselves and the sins we have done to please others, the sins we know and remember and the sins we have forgotten, the sins we have striven to hide from others and the sins by which we have made others offend you. Forgive them, O Lord, forgive them all for his sake who died for our sins and rose for our justification and now stands at thy right hand to make intercession for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. Even death itself could not keep Jesus from coming. Sin, mess, the muck of our lives, 
the sin that we know about, the sins that we forget about, all of those things were arrayed against Jesus Christ, and he emerges victorious for us. So our hope today is not rooted in our uh, the perfectibility of, of human beings or in technology or uh, uh, in... Uh, you know, just good feelings or whatever. Our hope today is rooted not even really ultimately in a message, but in a person who came, who lived, who knows what it's like to uh, stride through this world uh, full of joy and also sadness. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be a human being, and he came lived our life, died our death, rose again for us. We belong to him. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we declare his death that purchased our redemption until he comes where that redemption will cover the whole planet. That's our hope. If that's your hope this morning and you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he wants you this morning to come to taste, to hold in your hand these tokens, these these things that say to us, Jesus Christ really did come in the flesh and died for you. He rose again, and he will come back to take you to be with him forever and ever. If that's your hope, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He wants you this morning to eat, to drink, and to be reminded of his grace, his redemption, the ransom that he has paid for our souls. Um, as the uh, elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.